0: Back in the year 2011, United Flight 497 took off from the New Orleans airport. They weren't long into their flight until they began to notice that smoke was coming into the cockpit and smoke was going into the cabin. The pilot called back to the airport, to the tower, said, I need a runway. I've got to come back and land. The tower said, we don't have a runway available. The one that is potentially available has a bunch of vehicles on it, and I don't think we can clear it in time. The back and forth of the dialogue as I read it, the tension was evident between the pilot and the tower. And finally, the, the, the pilot said, I'm declaring an emergency. And, and he says this he says, I have 106 souls on board. Please clear the runway. Well, they got the vehicles cleared in the nick of time. The plane landed, skidded off the runway, but praise the Lord, no one was hurt. You see, the pilot sensed the responsibility that he had for every living soul that was on that plane, the intensity of this dialogue back and forth. And as we continue our exposition in Hebrews 13, the writer senses the responsibility that leaders have for the souls in their churches. And that's really what we want to look at today. So take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be talking about the idea of obeying and submitting to our leaders, the motivation they keep watch for our souls. Charles Bridges has written a book called The Christian Ministry that every pastor should read. We should be having our two interns reading it. But I'm trying to go easy, and we've selected other stuff. But Charles Bridges, the Christian ministry, written around 1850, says this about the ministry. To enlighten the mind and to affect the heart are the two main ends of the Christian ministry. The first demands wisdom and plainness, and the second, fervency as a spirit of scriptural preaching. This combination exhibits the minister as a burning and shining light imparting spiritual light and divine truth, as well as a spiritual heat and divine fervor. Nothing, says Richard Baxter, he's quoting a Puritan um, here, is more indecent than a dead preacher speaking to dead sinners the living truth of the living God. And so, in other words, we believe in a regenerate membership, certainly a regenerate pastorate. And it's amazing to read accounts of church history of how some have actually come to faith as pastors. They were already pastors and realized they weren't saved. Well, let's go ahead and read our text. Our text today, is we near the end of this glorious book of Hebrews, is 13 to 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have been blessing these expositions and that so many have seen things that they've never seen before. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for this word that men have bled and died to preserve. We thank you that we have multiple copies in our homes. May we be those that cherish this, as we see the very living truth of God, it's, it's a diamond mine that, that cannot be completely dug through. And so, Lord, would you show us gemstones, would you show us um, different angles of the great shepherd of the sheep, even the Lord Jesus Christ, today? In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, you'll remember after the glorious exposition of the first 11 chapters and In some ways, of verse 12, uh, at the end of chapter 12, he says, Since we have this kingdom that cannot be shaken, what? Let us show gratitude. And he says, By which we may offer to God an acceptable sacrifice. Showing gratitude and offering acceptable sacrifice is another way of saying worship. (laughs) And so, as he goes to chapter 13, he's just firing imperatives at us, right? Let love continue. Don't neglect hospitality to strangers. Remember the prisoners. Let the marriage bed be pure. All of these things. And in verse 10, he says, we have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, these new covenant Christians of which the the cults of the day and also the Jews who were still offering sacrifices what do you mean this Christianity that you're, you're seeking to live out? But you don't even have an altar to offer sacrifices. And the writer says, we have an altar by which those that labor in the tabernacle have no right to eat. And so um, and then he continues on with these new covenant sacrifices. Let us go out to him outside of the camp. And, um, and then in verse 15, right? Let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise. These are the new covenant sacrifices. Instead of offering animals to atone for sin, as the Jews were, we gratefully offer sacrifices of praise for the perfect and finished work of Christ. Apostle Paul speaks uh, that our whole response should be of, of one of grace, of the grace of God to the gospel by, in Romans 12, where he says, present your, your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. And then he says, doing good and sharing. These are sacrifices in which God is well pleased. And then as we come to our text here, um, I will tell you that I've never preached this verse before. It would not be something that I would pick for a topical sermon. Um, it's, you know, very self-conscious preaching about this, telling you to obey and submit to me and Pastor Steve and hopefully new elders soon. But with expository preaching consecutively through books of the Bible, we're not at liberty to skip certain passages, right? We're not at liberty to do that. And furthermore, we're reminded that all Scripture is what? Inspired by God and is profitable for reproof and correction and training and righteousness. Kent Hughes is a well-known uh, Bible commentator, been around for many years, uh, several decades. Him and his wife Barbara wrote a book, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And the target was to encourage fellow ministers and Christian workers in their labors in Christ. Well, as they traveled around and would speak on this topic in various places, even outside of their own circles, Um, Kent wrote this, I concluded that pastors are a group of one of the most hurting and abused segments of our society. And he basically said likely these certain people opened up because they're outside of their circles, they're never going to see them again. And so he would hear these stories. Some Christians are devoted to the celebrity YouTube uh, pastors that might be out there, or podcasts. And some Christians begin to leave off on their commitment to the local church because they're getting all this great teaching on YouTube, right? And they begin to maybe think, maybe we, they don't really need the church. And if they do come to church, and, and it's just a lowly church like ours of 100 souls or so, um, and, and, and you know it's just a, a normal guy preaching that lacks the charisma of the YouTube famous preachers, they may, might come and, and think that it's boring, Oh, I long for the charisma of Odie Bauckham or whatever it might be, whoever your favorite superstar uh, pastor is. But I just have a question. Who will give an account for your soul? It's not those guys on YouTube. They don't, they don't even know you. They're not, right? You, you need to be under pastoral care. Well, we're going to tackle this text in uh, three points. Uh, obey and submit to your leaders. I've got four lengthy subpoints under that. Secondly, l- leaders, pastor-elders, obviously, are to shepherd with joy. And then lastly, pray for your leaders. So let's, let's dive in. 17a, obey and submit to your leaders. Leaders are to persuade the people to follow their teaching. Um, the, the leaders, by the way, we've noted this when we were back in chapter seven. Um, notice, actually, just look back there. Remember those that led you and spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, and imitate their faith. Those were those that were formally leading them, but had gone on to be uh, with the Lord. But we see this also in verse seventeen and verse twenty-four. Verse twenty-four: Greet. All of your leaders and all of the saints, those from Italy, greet you. And so this is a, the, the third and fourth use, is verse 17 and verse 24. See, pastoral leadership is quite a bit different than the CEO of a manufacturing company or the CEO of a software company. It's radically different than that. Those CEOs need to have certain leadership skills, right? But, but it lacks the spiritual nuance, Biblical leaders are appointed by Jesus Christ to carry out his will in the context of the local church. I remember when I was a child, we played a game called follow the leader. And that's essentially what he's telling us to do here. And of course, with discernment and all of these qualifications. Well, these are two imperatives, two commands here. Obey your leaders and submit to them. These are commands. The word obey has the, the nuance in it of, of, of being persuaded uh, to follow someone uh, as a result of persuasion. It's the word that James chooses to use in James 3.3. 3. If we put bits in the, in the mouth of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their bodies as well. So those bits that the horse, when you pull on the rein, the horse will obey and be persuaded so that you don't have to whatever, kick them with your spur or whatever, right? So the bits are, are are the idea of persuading the horse, and that's the idea here. And then also the word submit, not the normal words related to it, only one time in the New Testament here, to yield to someone's authority, to give way. Today, people resist submitting to all authority, really, right? We live in a Anti-police environment, anti-authority type of thing. Some resist even authoritative preaching. Some resist an elder's authority in the context of the church. This can be attributed to many things, but you know, our, in our country here, that rugged American individualism thrives. Right? We like our independence. We even have a holiday. We celebrate our what independence? Right uh, from Britain. We have this independent spirit. But the basis of these two commands, brethren, is seen in the very next phrase. For, F-O-R, for, who pair, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. In fact, the Bible's filled with this idea of, of submitting and humbling ourselves, Right? In fact, in Ephesians 5, there's household imperatives that are there, but in 5.22, he, he says, Be subject to each other in the fear of Christ. And then he'll go on to say, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Submit to your husbands. Of course, the husbands are to love the wives. We're told three times. But then you get to 6.1, and then it's what? Little children, you children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is Right. And then you get down to six, five, slaves, be obedient to those that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, and in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And that you could take to that employee-employer type of relationship, slaves and masters, and those kinds of things. So in fact, the Bible, all submission is done ultimately unto the Lord, right? I mean, you, you saw that right here, with all trembling and sincerity of heart. As to Christ, all submission is really unto the Lord. And therefore, therefore, it's a sacrificial act of worship that we do. You think of just regular discipleship, right? When Jesus summoned the crowd and his disciples and said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself. So, basic discipleship demands this type of thing. We are to submit to spiritual leaders because their authority ultimately comes from Christ. Remember in Ephesians 4 where it talks about um, Christ and, and giving gifts unto the church, and it goes on to say that, and he, that is Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and the building up of the body of Christ. So I'm not going to say, aren't I such a great gift to the church? But I will say, Pastor Steve is a great gift to this church, and we're very, very thankful for him. And so, again, this is the authority, ultimately comes from Christ, of establishing these roles in the local church. So when it comes to leaders in the church, and we're talking very broadly right out there, there's really two extremes, isn't there? There's one that want to abuse their power and be very authoritarian and take their authority way too far to one extreme. But the opposite extreme is is one that just, it's a willy-nilly kind of thing. They don't really care about the souls. They're not laboring in prayer. They're not shepherding the sheep. Others just won't lead or shepherd the flock. Timothy Whitmer has a great book that our interns are reading, the called The Shepherd Leader, about shepherding in the context of the church. And he says this: there will always be leaders. The issue is whether they are leaders who are called and gifted by God to shepherd his flock or those who push themselves forward so that they can push others around. I thought that was a good quote. You know, there's some that that that, that um, want to run to the idea of office. And why don't you just recognize me? I mean, I, I, I have this, I think, you know, but these things are to be very, very slowly, that you don't install a man too quickly. You must be tested and proven. 2nd subpoint. the elders are to actually lead the church. What a novel idea, right? You know, the, the church is not a democracy. It really is a monarchy, if you think about it, right? It's a monarchy, The Lord Jesus Christ is head of this church. We are just merely under shepherds seeking to discharge what his will might be. But Christ is the senior pastor. He's the only senior pastor. He is the ultimate senior pastor. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. We'll see next time. And what's the constitution of our church? We do have a separate constitution, but our ultimate constitution is what? The Word of God. We've got our roadmap. We have our instructions. We know what we're to do. We don't have to guess. We don't have to say, what do you feel like? What do you feel like? We have have objective truth here. As I say, the primary duty of pastors is to implement the Lord Jesus Christ's will for the church on His behalf. To keep it pure. Think of the Great Commission, teaching them whatever Christ has commanded. It's, It's not teaching them what will draw the crowd. It's teaching what Christ has commanded for us to teach. The elders are to lead. The elders are to rule. They're to preside over. They have more wisdom than a new convert that's just been converted uh, within the last year. And, uh, you know, some of these churches try to impose this democracy type of thinking. Furthermore, the majority is not always right. There's a way that seems right unto the man. to to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so they're to lead with the major decisions, taking the pulse of the congregation, um, not just willy-nilly, this is happening, that's happening, but but seeking to have the mind of Christ. Also, the church is not a dictatorship. Um, If you were listening to Andrew when he read, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge lording it over, being a dictator. And there's there's, uh, any number of horrible examples of that. Little popes, self-appointed little popes. I think in the schisms of the 1200s, there was three popes at one one time, and they're anathemizing the other and the other and the other. They're they're, they're self-appointed little popes. Authority is given to serve. John 13, what did Christ do? He girded himself with a towel. He got down. He washed the dirty feet of his own disciples just hours before he would give of his life. What an example. Jesus laid down his life for us. Husbands, you're to lay down your life for your wives. Authority is given to serve. Even just as a husband seeks the counsel of his wife before making ma- family, major family decisions, the elders of the church seek to run the church in that way, seeking to get the, the input, the mind of Christ, as I said. All authority is derived from Scripture, right? It really is. The, the word to obey here, the idea of to persuade, to follow willingly, but we exercise not raw authority, but persuasion from the Word of God. The Bible talks about that there are leaders and there are saints, but the leaders are saints, right? So they're both leaders and saints, but the saints aren't both saints and leaders, if that makes sense. Some appeal to the priesthood of all believers as a reason to not have spiritual leaders, uh, which is a great doctrine, but that doctrine is more about having equal access to God, right? Right? You don't have to come through a leader, through a priest, right, to have access to God. We all equally have access to God, and there's one thing that Hebrews has made clear: it is that. Third subpoint: the biblical case for the plurality of elders. Look, look in the text here. The leaders, the leaders, plural, plural, right? The elders, it's plural. Nearly every New Testament occasion shows that there's. Elders. The Book of Philippians begins greeting the elders, plural, and the deacons. There's two offices in the church. People confuse it, you know, with hierarchies and bishops and all of this kind of thing. The word for elder and overseer and pastor are interchangeable for the same office. Um, these three words. The elder refers to the dignity of the office and and. Somewhat to the age, right? But also to oversee and to pastor are more the function of what the elders do. Elders, by far, is the most um, common New Testament occurrence referring to this office. So Acts chapter 20, we're just going to look at two texts. Actually, you don't even have to turn there. You're familiar with these. Acts 20 and verse 17, He sent to Ephesus and called to him, the elders of the church, plural. And Acts 20.28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. What is the motive for pastors to shepherd? It's because Christ shed his blood to purchase the bride of Christ. The the bride is, is, is his prized possession. He loves. And we have a responsibility to shepherd. But you see there, in Acts 20.17, the elders. You see, he has made you overseers. That's episkopos, right? And to shepherd, the verb, to pastor the flock of God. All three of those terms are right there. And he's speaking to the elders. By the way, who makes elders? Is it a special seminary? Is it a is it a certain denomination? You know, we can start our own denomination and appoint who we want to rule or whatever. No. Who appoints elders? It says right here in the text, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's ultimately the Spirit of God that calls, equips a man so that he is able to serve. First Peter, we, we just read it earlier, therefore I exhort the elders among you, plural, as your fellow elder, Peter speaking of himself, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd, pastor the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, right, presiding over, not under compulsion. Again, all three Greek words right here referring to the same office. And always, almost always in the plural. Well, let's move on. It says, For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This is our 4th subpoint. Leaders, keep watch over your souls. You know, some people have possessions. They might live in a bad neighborhood, and what do they do? They hire a security company to install cameras and magnets and all whatever that does. Um, you know, how are those run? But, but they run in such a way, and you see the signs to... to, to um, divert potential thieves away well when there's an upgrade that comes out or a new software or whatever that the security company is recommending or a new method of theft whereas they're coming into the garages we suggest that you add this to the garage and that kind of thing do you usually follow what they suggest of course you would right they're they're the professionals they're (laughs) recommending this your financial advisor says your retirement account is shrinking because you're in all too volatile stocks. We, we, I think you should be more conservative and maybe swap some of these around. You know, Unless you're a financial advisor yourself, you're, you're usually going to follow that advice. Well, leaders, actually watch over your souls. They're, they're allotted to our charge. They're, they're gifted by God to rule and, and to teach the word of God. They lie awake at night, keeping watch, pondering how they might benefit the sheep. And to be honest, I don't know how any Christian would not want to follow godly leaders in the most sound, right church that they can possibly find. Because if you're one that thinks, hey, I'll never fall, I don't need leaders, I don't need accountability, guess what? (laughs) Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We all need accountability. Furthermore, leaders are not serving for their own benefit, but for the members. Well, let's look at this. For they keep watch. That, that word is, is to be vigilant, to be aware, to alertly be concerned about someone, to look after. Um, it only occurs four times in the New Testament. Paul uses it at the end of Ephesians. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance. There it is. And then it's used twice of Christ and his second coming in Mark 13, 13. Take heed, keep on the alert. In Luke 21, 36, keep on the alert. And those have this eschatological idea, but I would, I would say that even our text does too. When do we give an account? Today, we're on that great day of reckoning. So there's an eschatological idea here of keeping watch because I know I'm going to give an account before the Lord. It's like uh, it's said of, um, in Luke 2 of the shepherds in Bethlehem as they kept watch over their flock by night. This giving an account is the word that Jesus uses that every careless word that a man shall speak, he shall give what an account for. So it's the same word there. And that's why James says, Let not many of us be teachers. We will incur a stricter judgment. So The rationale of keeping watch has already been explained throughout this this book of Hebrews really to the whole community. There's a sense in which we all have this responsibility. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But leaders have a special, God-given responsibility to do this with excellence. Does that make sense? We're, We're all called to do this on one level or another, but leaders all the more. The fact that leaders will give an account necessitates that there's a certain group of people they're going to give an account for, right? It's not, I'm not going to give an account for a, one, a visitor that comes one time, right, and, and isn't here. Um, 1 Peter 5 speaks of those allotted to their charge. There's a particular group of people in view here. And these verses, I submit to you, supports the idea of a formal church membership. And that's why at this church we, don't, we take membership very seriously we move slow. We want to make sure you understand who we are, what we believe. And I had to cut out from my notes or break this into two sermons, but we have a brochure right here. Why join a church? It gives the biblical basis for church membership and then the process of how to join this church. These are on the back table, the green flyers back there. <clears throat> Cheap are precious because they're purchased by the blood of Christ. So the idea of what will we give account for? What did you do to persevere in the faith and obedience? How did we care for you? Uh, Of all the members of GBC, what did we teach? How did we equip you? How did we live? How did we love you? How did we care for the sheep with compassion? When, When you're wounded and going through severe difficulties and trials, struggles with your teenagers and your children... Grieving and suffering at different times. How do we deal with you when you were a little hard-hearted and rebellious and needed a word of admonition? These are the types of things that we will give an account for. There's also a sense and hope of reward. Um, obviously, we were saved by grace. That's our motivation. But Peter actually says in 5.4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. The prophets spoke about this often, right? As far as the, 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 the false shepherds. Even earlier in Ezekiel, um, in chapter 3, Son of man, I've appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whatever you hear, Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way, that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. You see the, the, the seriousness of this? If we fail to warn you in a way in which you end up going astray and, and, and become an apostate, if we failed to warn that, woe to us. Well, that was our first point. Trust me, the, the next two are shorter. <laughs> So we're going to move on now. Obey, submit, um, the role of leadership, a plural leadership, and keeping watch. Now, leaders are to shepherd with joy. That's the second half of the verse. Now, this is an exhortation to the members let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It's a simple word. Bring your leaders joy, not grief. Joy recalls the idea, think of joy previously in this letter, right? Um, he, Jesus despised the shame on the cross because of the what? The joy set before him. It, said, it was said of these that some years before they joyfully accepted the seizure of their property in 1034. In 1211, that discipline section, right, says the fruit of discipline is joy, and so, here, let the leaders shepherd your souls with joy and not with grief. Bringing them grief, it says it would be unprofitable for you. Now, how can you bring joy to your shepherds? Probably the, the biggest way is 3 John 4, where John states, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Walking in the faith, truth, and obedience. You can encourage those that serve and teach by uh, having a, a good word for them Galatians six, 6 1 Timothy 5:17. You can you can encourage us by us seeing you serve in the local church using your gifts and and not just coming late and and leaving early type of thing but but really plugging in and experiencing the true body life that we have here. Working together, building the body up together. Serving together actually draws us closer together, doesn't it? When we're faithfully serving together. In verse 24, he's going to say, um, greet all of your leaders. A, a, a word of encouragement, a greeting, and then most of all, pray for your leaders, which is where he goes immediately after this. Now how do sheep wear out their shepherds? Um, it, it's a word that occurs in Romans eight, where it says, "We we ourselves groan." That's the word, groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. That's, that's the idea here. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, difficult, a heavy weight on the back. You know, that's the idea here. Some congregations are known for being super hard on their pastors, chewing them up and spitting them out. I'm on some pastor discussion lists. Some that are even include lots of Southern Baptist churches, and men are are really mistreated and abused. And That's why there's thousands of pastors that resign every year. It's just not worth it! I'm out of here, I'll dig ditches, I'll do whatever, but I don't want that groaning anymore. Some resent all authority. Some men are like this. In fact, men who are most authoritarian with their wives and their children and abusing their authority are often the most rebellious to church authority. Some refuse to commit to a local church. If you regularly attend but you don't commit to the membership of the local church, who has watch over your soul? Again, are are you the one watching over it just on your own? Some grumble all the time. I wish they wouldn't have put in this color of carpet. (laughs) Or I wish the air conditioner was on. And just complaining and complaining all the time. We're to do all things without grumbling, Paul tells the Philippians. Some grow lax and want to have their ears tickled. You know, just leave off on the sin and the hell part. You know, just tell us about grace and, and all of that. No, Paul says we must tell the whole counsel of God. Some are carried away by false teaching, as we saw in 13.9. Are you the kind of member, ask yourself this, are you the kind of member that your elders pray, Lord, send more members like this person and that person? Can you say, can the leaders say of you, as Paul did of the Philippians, you are my joy and my crown, right? He could say that to them. Well, how do leaders shepherd the flock? By the way, the whole shepherd imagery is all over the Bible, right? We're singing of it in those songs. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I, I shall have no need. But that shepherd Im- imagery of a, of a shepherd leading sheep. And remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We sheep are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, right? We're prone to wonder. We 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 need a shepherd to lead us. And and actually, if you look at a real flock of sheep, there the 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 shepherd is in front, right? Jesus actually says this: they know my voice, and they what follow me. So just as the shepherd knows that that he's leading them, that the sheep know to follow. And so, leading, right? We've already been talking about it. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. So to lead the sheep in the right way, to feed them also, right? The shepherd with the sheep will feed them eventually. And the idea of nurturing and and keep presenting the gospel. Remember when Peter and Jesus, the resurrected Christ, had that interaction with Peter, do you love my sheep? Do you love my sheep? Do you love my sheep? And, And what does he say? Tend to my sheep. Ephesians 4.12, the equipping of the saints for the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ. Part of feeding means preaching the word in season and out of season. It it, it means um, there to reprove and rebuke and exhort. Notice, with great patience and instruction to admonish, right? We all need a word of admonishment. Nathaea, that's oh, where we get biblical counseling, right? It's an admonishment um, to edify and build up the body. But also, the shepherd with these sheeps, what else is he... The sheep have enemies, don't they? So that shepherd is vigilant. He's looking out as it gets dark at night. Are there wolves over there behind the hill that could come over and get any one of my sheep? And so too, we are called to protect and to guard. Later in Acts 20... Says, I, Paul says, I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. That, that's, a, that's a big, that's a, that's a mouthful right there. They will come in. That's why we're very discerning with new people that are coming. We're finding out do they have an axe to grind? What's their What's their axe? And believe me, we've had dozens upon dozens over the, our 16 years. They've got their axe to grind, and we're not going to let them grind it when we find out that it's, it's an unbalanced view of something or another. And they end up leaving, of course, eventually. Some had to be, have to be told to leave. And so, uh, so they come in from, from outside, but sometimes even within, they begin to believe something, and they prove that they're an apostate. We had a man that we had to discipline out many years ago, 12 years ago maybe, um, that basically embraced um, or denied that Jesus was Messiah and got involved in, in Judaism of all things. Who would have thought, right, in this day and age? And after six, eight months of dialogue and meeting with this man, so what else? Lead, feed, protect, guard, pray. Acts 6.4, Uh, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, right? Devote means to what? Busy oneself with. It means to be active. It means to be engaged in it, to be devoted to it. That's why we have uh, a shepherding sheep, of which nearly all of your names is on here, that we pray for and through a couple times a week and often throughout the month. We're to care for you, give the right discipleship and encouragement, mentorship, offer biblical counseling. And one of the most hardest things that we do is when we have to discipline, right? That's a hard thing. Nobody enjoys that. It's one of the most wearying thing for elders. But it's more important to be faithful to God and keeping the church pure than to be popular with you. So we have a huge responsibility on that. We're so thankful that someone that was disciplined is, is working on reconciling and coming back into the membership. And that's the goal of church discipline is restoration. We don't want to lose any. If you're, a, if you're genuinely His and you're a real sheep, we want to go after you. And sometimes it means the rod, right? Through discipline. But praise the Lord when they come back, right? I realize I've gone astray. I want to be right now. But that's very wearying. So care, pray, disciple. And, and we've all s- seen these churches and here are these churches that they're not there to shepherd the sheep. They're not there to really lead and feed or to protect or to pray for, to care for, to discipline. They're not there for that. They're there to entertain the goats so that they can have more numbers and so they can make a name, of, uh, make their uh, fame for their name and their reputation. They don't really care how you live. They don't really care if you're living in sexual immorality. They don't really care if you end up in hell because you didn't take things seriously. Ezekiel 34, these are the the false shepherds that are feeding themselves. That they're ignoring them. And and how did it say that the, the enemies, the sheep were attacked because the shepherds were not there? You should want pastors who truly guide you in love and who are honest with you and who sometimes say the things that are hard. And secondly, submit to their authority. The author is expressing confidence in their present leaders and perhaps some concern that some were not receiving the respect that is due them. Because he just fires off with this imperative. He's not actually with them. He previously was with them in congregational life He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Let them do this with joy. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul writes, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. There's another phrase. How do they have charge? It's not a self-imposed charge. It's a, a biblical church membership, a formal membership. They have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their very work. Live in peace with each other. Now, the elders' authority only goes so far as the Bible, right? We've heard of horrible situations, even in Reformed churches, where authority was taken too far, asking to look into credit card statements and all of this. No, authority only goes so far as the Bible and then we're to persuade you to believe the things in the Bible. If they go against Scripture or abuse authority, you need to find a new church if you're seeing that. That is not what um, is right. And again, all authority is a derived authority. Parents, you, you, you have authority over your children because God has given you that authority for a season, right? You have that authority The San Diego PD, I don't know where Matthew went, but he was here. (laughs) He's a police officer for the San Diego Police Department. That is an authority that has been granted to him by the city to represent law and order. He has an authority, he carries a badge to show that it's a derived authority. It's not, not a dictator's authority demanding things here or there. And by the way, whether it's in the church or in the home, that's not the form of leadership that God is pleased with. It's a servant leadership. True leaders are servants. They die to themselves so that others may flourish in various ways. There's no perfect church, but the sheep could be teachable and easy to lead, could be gracious And also, I'll just say this, this is a whole other thing, but elders, a plurality of elders, I should have had that back under the plurality, but one of the greatest benefits is that we keep each other mutually accountable. When you have a plural leadership, there's an accountability, there's not one man that somehow has, has a special anointing and stands above. We keep each other accountable, and we need that accountability. Thirdly, pray for your leaders. Briefly, verses 18 and 19, let's read it. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things, and I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you sooner. This honorable conduct. Even the strongest pastors that walk in great holiness need have their need of grace for such a difficult calling. The Apostle Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? We need the prayers of our people. So in verse 18, the writer um, gives us command, pray for us. Pastors have targets on their back. Satan would love to see another pastor fall into some kind of scandal or whatever, and he's shooting his fiery darts his fiery darts, and to the degree that we're able to, we hold up the shield of faith and we extinguish those, but pray that one doesn't hit us in the back where Satan has put that target. We too have a, a weak and frail, sinful nature, and we need each other's prayers. Paul says it like this to Timothy Pay close attention to yourself, young Timothy, and to your teaching, persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. See, there's nothing more destructive than 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 the fall of public fall of some pastor um, and, and of some scandal, you know, whether it's a sex scandal, immorality, often that is, embezzling money, abuse of power, um, affairs. What happens? The world mocks. That's the Christ that. I can't trust any church that claims to hold to that. Also, you know what I've seen a lot is it damages the faith of the people. They were in a church for a long time. They had the confidence in the pastor for many years, and the church falls, or the, the pastor falls, and they, they become disillusioned. I really can't trust any pastor. I mean, we, we've had several over the years, going back quite a bit. They just could not in good conscience join another church because they were burned in some way from an abusive leadership or a scandalous fall like that. Our author is speaking here very personally, um, as Paul does at the end of his letters. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did with you. And he says here that, that we might have a clear conscience, right? A good conscience, Desiring or literally willing to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So, what do you pray for? Pray for a clear conscience, conducting yourselves honorably. Actually, back in chapter 7, where it said, Remember your leaders and, and considering the result of their conduct, it's the same word here that he says, considering the conduct of those former leaders who used to lead you and maybe were martyred or just have died of natural causes. And here he says says that our conduct would be honorable, that we could be spoken of like back in verse 7. And then verse 19, I urge Paraclého, strong, urging you to do this all the more. Why? So that, Hena Claus writes, so that I may be restored to you sooner. What does that indicate? There's been some providential separation He knows them intimately. We've already seen that. like He's seen their response to trials. He speaks to that in chapter 2 and chapter 6 where he says, but you, beloved, I'm convinced of better things concerning you. He knew about their conflict and suffering, so obviously he was one of the leaders for a season of time with this group of people somehow providentially separated but longing to be restored because of his great love for them. Well, a couple points of conclusion. First of all, Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's one that will never let you down. We may let you down. We may forget about something in your life or overlook something because we are still sinners. But Christ alone perfectly meets all the qualifications for leadership. He was the leader par excellence. He was the one who has purified our consciences. And whatever qualifications we may possess have been granted by Him. We can follow the perfect example of Jesus Christ without hesitation, right? He brings us an unchanging, perfect, inspired Word of God which is His Word to us. And it's the final word. Don't be looking for additional words. The very first verse of this book, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he's appointed an heir of all things. These last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. Church leaders come and go, right? They might serve for a decade, five decades, seven decades, They might serve it, they come and go, but Christ remains forever the head of the church and he rules it perfectly. And secondly, pray for your pastors, especially that we would proclaim the word of God, um, proclaim it accurately and faithfully as a workman who need not be ashamed, that we would maintain our own qualifications with a clear conscience. I read this week of a um, story of a funeral of a prominent Christian leader, and the pastor that was conducting the funeral had one of the members come up to him after the funeral, and she said, It never occurred to me that a man like him needed my prayers. That's a lesson. That's a lesson for all of us. We all need prayers. Brethren, pray for your prayers leaders. Whether if you're visiting, maybe it's the leaders in your home church, pray for them. And if you're here today, and you might be a sheep that needs a shepherd, right? You don't have a shepherd and you need a shepherd. If you're a sheep and, and, and you need a, a, the great shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep who through his blood atoned for sinners that would come to him We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to die for those that would trust in Him. He's the only way of salvation. And by the way, He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to to save sinners, to admit that you're a sinner, confessing your sins, repent, and come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You even for this passage of Scripture. Uh, We thank You for this book. Lord, help us to apply the things that we have heard. Help us to consider these things with great weight and care. Lord, even as um, we are a church that longs to see additional elders and deacons, would you add to both offices in your perfect time? Would you convict even the men here that perhaps you are nudging that maybe they need to ratchet up their commitment to the local church? And perhaps, maybe, they might be an officer. Lord, add to the elders and deacons of this church and help us to be faithful with all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.